Hey, whether you enjoy listening to Breaking Down Collapse or Building Up Resilience, I think you'll also really enjoy our bonus content on Patreon. Yeah, Kellen and I take 20 minutes each week to talk about the news that's happening all around us and Collapse as it plays out. We like to have a little fun with it, but also make sure that you're aware of what's going on in the world of Collapse. We look forward to having you join us there. The link to join us on Patreon is in the episode description. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So, Kellen, a few times we've made references to the fact that we like soccer. I've talked about it a little bit. Anyway, you and I are on a soccer team together um, in our old age. And uh, we play just on an indoor team. And I have to tell you, I am feeling it. Like, I am just – I hurt for the entire – we play one week – or sorry, one time a week. Um, and they're 50-minute games. And I get so winded and tired. I'm so out of shape. I play like – half of those games and then i feel it the whole week i pay for it so right now everything hurts yeah and and not only does it just like hurt but we also get hurt quite frequently yeah that too but we feel proud of the fact that we have won every <laughs> the championship every time in our league so far this is what our fourth season yeah well and it was fun because we put our we put the team together and we hadn't played, most of us hadn't played in like 10 years, right? We played when we were kids, when we were in our early 20s and stuff. But we were all thinking, man, we're just going to get destroyed. And yeah, we started in like the lowest league. We won it. So we went up a league. We won it. And then we stayed in that league. We're not We're not going to go play with the 20-year-olds. But I don't know why I'm bringing this up other than the fact that like it's kind of embarrassing because many athletes are in their prime. Maybe not quite in their prime, but they're still doing well at our age, right? Soccer players will play till they're like 35, usually 36, and then they'll retire. And here I am just feeling like, like I'm so old. I can't, I can't even stay in a whole game and then to whine about it all week that my feet hurt. Yeah, it is exhausting, but it's good for us. 
we're we're sure. building up our physical resilience. That that is actually true, you know, and and I I appreciate that we're doing it. I'm not going to stop, and I'm hoping to like actually get to the point where it, it stops hurting. Maybe, <laughs> you know, but I, <laughs> good luck. I'm not expecting that. Well, it's like my back. It's all this stuff. It's like old person stuff, you know, stuff that I would like when I was younger. I never thought would happen to me, and now it's happening. Well, probably part of the fact is that it's we're only doing physical activity one time a week. If we were more consistent, right? For a while, you and I were going to the gym, and uh, we've kind of fallen out of the habit. It's just been a busy time of life. Yeah. But it's a good busy. For sure. Um, and part of that business is this podcast. So let's uh, jump in and do the podcast. It does take time. So let's make the time worth it. Love it. All right. So last week we rounded out going through the framework. Um, and now we're going to just, we're going to dive in and we're going to start going through the pillars. Um, we've kind of talked about how the idea is um, on one leg, we're keeping it somewhat high level, right? Every time we go in, we're going in deeper and deeper. We're going to start picking out more and more specific topics. This first time through, as we go through the pillars, um, we're going to give a bit of a high level uh, overview of the pillars, but we're also going to be giving today, for example, some really specific advice, um, ideas um, about how to how to go about starting um, building up food storage. Um, so the topic of today, it's not food storage in and of itself, it's food in general. And we got lots of things to cover with that. Um, but I just want to make sure because we, ha we have had one or two, I guess just one person reach out and be like, it's so slow. The podcast is so slow. You guys aren't moving fast enough, you know, and, and we talked about what our style is and how our style isn't going to fit everybody's style. But just to reiterate, um, the first episodes up to this point have been to really nail down the framework and make sure that you feel comfortable if starting from scratch and having putting together a plan and saying, I know what direction I need to take this in. I know my desired outcome and, and, and how I'm going to go about this. Right. And now we can start to lay out the groundwork of the actual, like what we're going to be talking about throughout the podcast. And then after we get through these, um, these pillars from here, it's going to get, it's going to start to get deep and we're going to really dig in deep to each individual part. And um, again, there are hundreds if not thousands of episodes worth of content out there on resilience. And we're going to get to it all. Yeah, it makes me think of recently, my wife and I painted like a bedroom and a bathroom. And there are individuals who are like, I'm ready to paint. Let's do this. And they want to just start like getting out the brush and the roller and, and going for it. Um, usually it doesn't turn out nearly as good if you go that route. Like if you want to do it the right way, you should do some prep, clean things off, put tape, you know, around all your trim or whatever. And that way, like the, the finished product is going to look really good, but it takes time. You, a lot of times, depending on the size of the room, you might spend more time just doing prep to actually paint than you actually spend painting. Right. Um, but you know, I've, I've worked with people on projects that have not taken the time to prepare properly for the project and then they're upset that it it doesn't turn out very good and i feel like it's very similar i don't know if that metaphor or that analogy whatever it is aligns really well here but i like the idea that we've taken the time to to help us get into the right mindset we've talked about the principles we talked about desired outcome and the pillars and variables and all these things that help you craft kind of your direction your plan 
as you go into it, instead of just diving right into the very tactical things. So I think it's valuable. I think it's it's the better way to go, even though it does start out a little bit slower. Now I'm excited that we're actually like painting here, right? We're actually going to be getting more and more specific. That's a really good analogy. I like that. You know, <laughs> some people's style of learning is just jumping in and getting thrown into it without structure. And <laughs> we have, we kind of made jokes about like, like different podcasts and different websites and different things will do that. They'll just start coming up with these random things. We always like to use the silly example of like 27 ways to cook an acorn or whatever, you know, but I, there's a site that I really do like, um, called, uh, I think it's called the prepared and I think it's got some great information in it. It's, it's apolitical. So, I mean, it's just well-rounded, but I click into it and I've been researching some things and, and trying to find some good content for today's episode. And anyway, there was this thing that said new to prepping start here and, um, you'd click on it and, and it had a series of articles that it wanted you, it called it the, the prepping basics. And the very second link, second article was titled how to make pemmican and i just like it immediately like my brain flashed back to our jokes that we make about 101 ways to use a trash bag and and it's like sure that i'm sure that pemmican is is it's like a native um uh food that can be made that can last a really long time um it's a very i think a pretty simple thing to make and, and it doesn't require like preservatives and all these things anyway is that how it's pronounced i guess i've never even heard it i mean i could be saying it wrong p-e-m-m-i-c-a-n um but but i just thought like if you were brand new to prepping and you're like oh i found this website i want to learn what it means to be resilient and the very like first or second thing that it's telling you is how to make pemmican and it's like oh yeah, let me make some pemmican. Okay, now what? <laughs> like, right. You know, so anyway, I appreciate I appreciate the content that's out there. And I know there's a lot of good stuff. But I'm a structured person. I like structure. And if you're listening to this and you're like, they are taking it too slow, I apologize for that. I, I But at the same time, I don't. I don't apologize for, for being highly structured. And I do think um, there are a lot of people that want to learn this way. And there's not enough content out there around resilience that does it. Yeah. Well, then let's do it. Okay. Food. So, obviously, when it comes to the pillars, um, there's a few that are the absolute most important because they are what sustain life, right? Food, water, and shelter are typically referred to as those three life-sustaining necessities. Air is also one of them. We'll talk about air quality and, and ways to ensure you have proper air in the podcast, but I don't think it's as wide or as big uh, that it needs its own pillar. Um, food, water, and shelter, we're going to talk a lot about. It's probably going to make up the majority of the podcast. And food in and of itself is just a vastly huge topic. And we are talking hundreds of episodes worth of content around food. I think the main thing most people do think about with resilience um, or specifically with prepping is food storage. I think when you look at food, there are two, there are two very important things you can look at. One is having food stored and the other is having a sustainable access to food. 
Food storage, on the one hand, is good to have in emergencies and to get you through tough times, but you can't survive forever off of food storage. Um, I don't think I would want to. On the other hand, you have this sustainable access to food, which is much more difficult to accomplish, especially going through collapse and collapse scenarios, um, but is essential to to be able to have um, a continuation of of resilience and life through collapse. So we'll be referring to those two items, food storage and access to food um, throughout this episode and throughout the podcast to come. But I do think it's important to make sure that we understand the differences in those. Yeah. One way that I like to think about it is, is in parallel to like finances and finances is a whole nother topic of resilience, but you think about it. And if you want to be like financially independent, you want to have some source of revenue or income. Um, but Cash flow. Yeah. But like you can't just completely rely on that. You also need to have something in savings. And it's similar in the, in the sense that like with food, you need to make sure you have a way to acquire food. For most people, that's going to the store, right? But there are lots of topics here. You know, there's gardening and there's like hunting and there's animal husbandry and there's foraging. Yeah, there, there are so many ways that you can acquire food. Having the food coming in as like a, a an income or revenue stream is important. But you also need to make sure that you have some food just stored available, a savings uh, in case of any sort of an emergency or whatever the situation might call for. So having both of those is important. And that's why most of the time when you look at any sort of preparedness, not only if, if you, whatever form of acquiring food you have, you also need to figure out how to store that in the short term and how to store that in the long term. There are things like freeze drying your food or canning your food, right? Or whatever it might be that allows you to be able to keep that food for a longer period of time. So that you're not reliant on like every day having to go acquire more food. Yeah, well said. Most people um, are accustomed to having that income of food available to them at any time through grocery stores, through fast food, right? They have the money to spend to go do that. Um, they have access to those things, the transportation to get there, to bring it home, all of that. But we know based on our other podcast that that is all in danger in some way or another, whether it is the transportation system that breaks down, the energy, the safety of going out, um, that food showing up in the grocery stores at all, whatever it is, that system cannot be relied on. And so what do we have as a backup? Because that's what resilience is, right? Is redundancy. How, what redundancies do we have to make sure we have access to food in case we are no longer able to access it? through other means. And that can mean so many different things, right? It could mean we lost our job and we just can't afford food. It's still there. It's still in the grocery stores. Everyone else is still eating at McDonald's uh, or at whatever it is, right? But I can't. I just, if I want to pay the rent or the mortgage, um, I, I can't afford meals. Or maybe I can't afford my rent or mortgage either, uh, but I got to eat to survive. So what am I going to do about that? And the first line of defense is having some food in storage. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about food storage for a little while. 
before we do, I'm just going to say you may be super interested in the other side of things, which is creating a self or a, a sustainable access to that food, right? So if you are interested in foraging, if you're interested in husbandry, if you're interested in, um, homesteading, permaculture, guerrilla gardening, like there's, it's just, there's so many, um, and we're going to talk about them. They're just not the focus of today's podcast, because I think the basic, the, the basic starting point, um, for feeling a little more resilient today than you did yesterday is going to be to work on your food storage. Like we could, we could start off by saying like, you should buy chickens and rabbits and build a coop in your backyard and, and go from there. But I don't think that's the right place to start. Yeah. So when it comes to food storage, maybe let's just start with the first question that many people ask, which is, well, how much do I need? So there are multiple ways that we can answer that question. It's actually a little bit of a trickier question than it appears on the surface. So a lot of this is going to come back to whatever your desired outcome is. Whatever you have decided, like, here's how resilient I want to be and what that looks like. That'll help you determine. But if you uh, go look at resources from the Red Cross or the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, they're going to recommend you have a minimum of a three-day supply. Like you should have a 72-hour kit. You should have something that's just right when disaster strikes, you've at least got enough to get by. And I will say uh, most of us probably have 72 hours worth of food in our house right? Otherwise we're shopping every single day and that's probably not a great use of, um, energy and money and whatever to, to be going out and making these little trips and not buying in bulk at all. But obviously what is in that three days worth of food does matter because if there's an emergency and you have three days worth of stuff that you have to use the microwave or the stove or the oven or add water to, or whatever it is, and you don't have access to those things in this emergency, so the contents of that three of that three days worth is important as well, which we will talk about. Yes. Yeah, so the amount of time that you're preparing for helps determine what kind of food you should have. Um, you know, I mentioned the Red Cross, U.S. Department of Homeland Security, but if you talk to FEMA, they will suggest you have a two week supply. Um, and you can go look at this source and that source, and everyone's going to have different recommendations for how much food storage you should have. Like, uh. Ideally, you're going to have a year or two years, right? Or maybe just six months or maybe just one month. But wherever you're at, start there and work towards the next step. If you don't have anything, at least get the three-day supply. Once you've got three days worth and you feel good about that, then say, hey, I'm going to get two weeks in place, right? And then from there, depending on what you've determined is your desired outcome, you can say, you know what? I want three months worth. I want to know I can get by for three months. So, but what does that mean? Like you might not have a good concept for, uh, do I have two weeks worth of food in my house? I don't even know. And so that's where it gets a little more complicated and you can get really sophisticated with it and, and very precise. Um, for me, I, I don't want to do like tons of math on it and, and have it be just all this overhead that I'm trying to manage my food storage. But as you look at all the resources out there, they're going to talk usually about calories and they're going to talk about pounds of food. So you can get as specific with this as you would like. The typical male, um, the typical adult man 
needs 2,500 calories in a day. Typical woman needs 2,000 calories. A lot of that's based on your body mass index. It, but if you want to get really specific, it, you know, you can, you can find things like, I'll read this. The amount of food storage you should have to sustain an average adult for one year is 390 pounds of grains, 70 pounds of beans, 25 pounds of dried meats, 90 pounds of dried dairy, 25 pounds of fats and oils, 60 pounds of sugars, 90 pounds of dried fruits, and an assortment of other goods. Wow. Interesting. And then from there, you might say, well, I need that, you know, however many pounds of grains. Like, what should those grains consist of? Right. And you can get down to like, well, a seven-year-old needs... 100 pounds of wheat and 35 pounds of rice and 27 pounds of flour and this many pounds of milk. Uh, I doubt, I hope people aren't doing it that way. I, it's, it's one method. Okay. Right. So if you are somebody that is just like, I want it prescribed to me, I just want to know exactly what the recommendation is. Believe me, there are plenty of sources out there. Sure. In fact, there are many food storage calculators that exist. So you can say, here's how many people I have in my family and, you know, here's how long we need the food storage to last and then go from there and it can help you calculate based on pounds of food. My recommendation, I don't know that I want to get super into like counting calories, counting pounds. To me, that's a big headache. Um, instead, if you can think about what you typically eat, right, what's part of your normal diet, like my wife and I, at least once a week, we, we have tacos, right? And we, we know the ingredients that, that consist of, of that meal. And so being able to say like, these are the ingredients we're already buying frequently. We're just going to purchase extra and a little bit extra each week. And we're going to build up that food storage of that thing that we eat frequently. If you're doing that with, with the things that you are consuming on a regular basis, um, that's when you can start to get a sense for, okay, I look at my shelf. We've got like this many cans of beans, this many cans of whatever. I know that I've got two weeks worth. That's, that's, if you're just looking for where to start, that's my recommendation. Yeah. And I think that's really good to say, cause there's, there's some common misconceptions I think around food storage that people have. One is like, I need to buy just a bunch of stuff in bulk and I'll feel good cause I have it. Like, I'm going to go out and buy, like, 300 pounds of rice, right? And it's like, okay, do you normally eat rice? Well, no, but it lasts a long time and you can live off of it. That is true. And I do think there's a place for rice in the food storage, you know. But if you never eat it, if all of a sudden you are jobless or there's an emergency or you can't go to the grocery store, number one, do you know how to cook it? Number two... Do you have any, are you putting anything with it or are you literally just planning on eating rice for the next six months? <laughs> you know, like get what you're already eating. You don't want to completely change your diet, um, in, in an emergency scenario. You know, I think about my family and I think about like, if, if I lost my job, um, and we didn't have an income and we needed to watch our budget and all we had was like rice and beans or some stuff that we don't normally focus on eating. Like we would probably not eat that stuff in the food storage, even though it was there. Like we would find 
like we'd go into debt in the credit card to go buy regular meals that we normally eat, right? Because it's just such a, you don't realize how important your meals are to not only your health, your digestive system, um, your mood, and really your mental health. It, ha- it makes a big difference to be able to have a good meal and the meal that, that you're used to eating. You know, I've left the country you have as well for long periods of time. And for me, some of the biggest parts of the culture shock is the different food. It's not that it's not good food. The food was excellent. But just the fact that I was eating something that was so different than what I was used to and the foods that I was used to were no longer available, like that was some of the biggest like culture shock, what made me the most homesick. So anyway, I just think that probably made you the most like literally sick, right? Yeah, it messes with your system. For sure. Yeah. And, And just to add to that, I think people forget that in times of crisis, like your mental energy is already, your stress level is already maxed out. And so typically when people go through like a traumatic event, a time when, when they, they need the most resilience, that's when they feel weakest. They, they don't feel like they have energy to prepare something that they've never prepared before. Right. Like they're, they're going to go with what's just easiest, simplest, what's, what's most comfortable, most convenient. And so trying to prepare in a way that gives yourself that like mental and emotional bandwidth when you know you're going to need it most is extremely important. You know, there's a principle of resilience, which we did not talk about in our episode on the principles, but, but the, something that I think about often, and it's that the more you are able to continue on your normal life through emergencies, the more prepared you are, the more resilient you are, the less mental energy you have to put towards certain things, Right that gives you an upper hand. For example, let's say um, we're talking about food storage. Let's say there's a global pandemic. And that global pandemic means that um, things on, on the grocery store shelves are starting to go, go. you know, uh, the supply of them is lessening. You don't know if things are going to become available. Um, we'll use things like toilet paper as an example, right? Or candle. Anyway, obviously, I'm talking about something we've experienced in the last few years. The people who are not prepared for that are the ones that are now panicking. They're the ones that are going to the grocery store. They are the ones that are going from grocery store to grocery store to grocery store, trying to find what they need. Their heads spinning. They're losing their minds, trying to figure it out. They're probably ending up spending more money than they would have normally because they're having to buy things at elevated prices or whatever it is. Meanwhile, the guy who was ready for this, he's taking the next steps right? He's not thinking about how am I going to feed my family tomorrow because he's got food storage ready, right? He's thinking about what's next. He's preparing the next thing, right? He's, he's advanced and uh, he's one step ahead or two or three or 10 steps ahead. And it's not like we're trying to get ahead of other people, but we certainly don't want to be caught behind. We don't want to be the one caught panicking. We want to be able to say, okay, while they're all freaking out about food and going to the grocery stores, I'm taking care of there. What can I do now to be one step more prepared and, and more ready for this? So anyway, going back to this food idea, if you're having to think about, even if it's you have the food, if it's food you don't know how to cook, right? Or it's food you're not normally going to eat. It's setting you off your normal 
path, your normal lifestyle, what you're used to, and that extra mental energy and that decrease in normal energy and the effect that it has on your physical health, all of those things make it harder for you to be able to react and be super responsive throughout that time of crisis. Yeah. And I think maybe you mentioned this, but there's a place for having, like if there's something that just lasts for a long time, you can buy it in bulk. It's what you would only eat like if you absolutely had to sure have a little bit of that but don't depend on that yeah so so i think um and that's a really good point there are there are distinctions to be made because that's not to say that you shouldn't have those things you mentioned something really interesting which was you know start with three days then work up to two weeks and work up to um three months and that's what that's the approach i've taken is i've said okay look i I just want to make sure I have a few days worth of stuff and your three day supply may be different than your two week supply and your two week supply may be different than your three month supply, which is different from your six month or a year supply. I'm not there yet, but I've started to kind of build out and say, look, my two week supply is stuff that I eat every day. I mean, it is like my normal day to day meals. If I had to go two weeks, I could do that. The idea there being... I want to have a little bit of a grocery store in my house. The things that I buy at the grocery store, instead of having to go to the grocery store, I just have them here ready to go. As we look out further, then I say, okay, look, if I had to survive for longer than that, let's say three months, well, now I've got some canned goods and some other things that like aren't in my everyday diet, um, but I could easily work them in, right? Like I'm probably not eating like a can of string beans or baked beans or things like that in my diet typically. Um, but they last longer. They last a long time in those cans, right? I'm not really a canned food guy, but I do occasionally and I can eat them. And so my longer term food storage involves a lot of that. And then I'll make sure to rotate those in and be eating them so that they're not going to waste over time. And then looking even further than that, I do have like some mylar, some, fr some freeze dried fruit, uh, food, right. That are in mylar bags. And those I'm able to say like, you know, I'm not going to really be digging into those unless I'm in a more long-term emergency. But first I'm going to get through the two weeks, the month, the three months worth of food that's normal for me to eat. And if we're in that drastic of an emergency where there's no food access for three months at that point, well, I probably don't have much of a choice other than to start digging into the freeze dried stuff. And hopefully once that's all gone, I've now got into place and I'm actively initiated the uh the ability to create my own food and, and recreate that income stream of food hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So yeah, I think what you're saying has got us thinking in the right direction. If you're starting from scratch, you're trying to build up some degree of food storage. You're not like you can have a bag of rice that could feed somebody like for two weeks. But I think part of what you're saying is, hey, like a 72 hour kit is, is something that you would probably use if all of a sudden you had to like up and go. If you just like, there's a natural disaster, there's wildfires or hurricane or you, an earthquake or something, and you've just got to get out of there and you need some food to go with you. You're not going to want to take a big bag of rice and try to figure out how you can exactly prepare and eat that. You're going to have things that are like prepackaged. You can just eat it on the go. That's a different type of food storage than what you would get with maybe some of your long-term food storage. So I like the idea of thinking in that direction. I like the idea of taking it step by step. And I love the idea that like really when it comes down to it, the bulk of what you're preparing uh, should be foods that you are used to eating. And it's not going to be this huge disruption if you have to switch to that. Okay. So there's, there's another misconception that I think people have about food storage. Um, and it's basically that people have this temptation and I had this where it's like, when it comes to food storage, I'm going to buy something, I'm going to set it aside and then I'm not going to use it. Um, because you feel like if you use it, like you'll slowly dwindle, it'll slowly dwindle. Right. And you'll forget to replenish it. And you just want to have like a savings account. Financially, you just put the money away and you don't pull from that. You know, you know, it's always there for a rainy day. And I think that um, that's really not the idea. And it's not a financially smart idea to buy a bunch of food and then let it sit there and go to waste. So this is a pretty basic um, idea in preparation, which is called the first in first out method. Basically, you organize things in such a way that you're able to take what has been placed there first on your shelf. Um, you make sure that you're using that first and the newer stuff you're putting in goes to the back of the line. Um, and that way the newest stuff um, is always, or I should say the oldest stuff is going first and the newest stuff stays longer. That way you're just making sure that things aren't going past their expiration dates, which I know we'll talk about here in just a moment. The way that I do it, so I, um, I basically over time slowly built up food uh, in, you know, every time I went to the grocery store, I grabbed a couple extra, got to the point where I said, okay, look, I can buy an extra like week's worth of groceries here or there. I know not everyone is in that situation and we will do a full episode on how to really get into um, food storage on a very, very tight budget. Um, that'll have its, its whole own thing. But if you can, if you have some discretionary income, go out and buy that week's worth or two weeks worth at once. If not, then you can build up slowly and get to that point. But what I did was I just made a little cardboard box, like a shoe box, and I cut a hole in the top of it. And I put it in my storage room, in my pantry, basically. And then uh, I knew what I had in there. If you want to, you can make sort of an inventory of the things that you eat most often. Just uh, list out basically what you want to have in there, what you think you should always have. But the simplest way, what I did was with this box, I put a little sticky note pad right next to it. And any time I went into the storage room and I took a new, whatever it was, uh, we'll call it a bottle of apple juice, right? Upstairs, I would write 
apple juice on the sticky note and I'd stick it in the box. So that just told me next time I went to the grocery store, I could go down, take out those sticky notes, and there was my grocery list. So instead of going to the grocery store and thinking ahead of what I wanted to have, I was actually looking backwards at what I had used and that became my grocery list. So it's a pretty simple method. Obviously, like maybe sometimes my kids would go in and take something and not write it on the sticky note, right? Or my wife would go in and, and not write it down. And so over time, it kind of slowly does dwindle down a little, but you can go in, kind of take a stock, take inventory and say, oh, it looks like um, we do need some more apple juice or we do need more of this or more of that. You can really get as specific with it as you want. You can get as tight with it as you want. Um, I've been tempted, I like Excel spreadsheets, so I've been tempted to say like, to write up a whole list of each thing and how many I want to have at all times so I can go into that Excel spreadsheet once a month or once every few months and replenish what I don't have. Um, but anyway, the sticky note method has been awesome for me to be able to go in and just have a grocery list ready to go. I always feel like I have that pantry stocked. I never have to wonder what I've used and what I haven't used. And uh, I don't have to sit there and rack my brain about trying to create a grocery list every time I go to the store. Yeah, and this is where this I think it starts to get fun because you can get creative with your approach. A lot of this comes back to your variables as well. When you start to look at how am I going to approach storing food and having enough food storage, you want to look at how many resources, like what 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 kind of capacity you have to be obtaining the food to have in your food storage. If you're somebody that has a lot of discretionary income, you might be able to go find, you know, there are these companies that sell like food storage kits, um, big buckets that it's all sealed in such a way that it might last for 15 or 20 at the max, even 30 years, some of these kits. And there might be somebody out there who says, I want to have like, two years worth of food. I'm just going to buy a ton of these buckets, spend however many thousands of dollars. 10 grand or so will get you a couple of years worth of food. Yeah. Yeah. And that like, sure, you put that to the side and you're probably not going to be like going and grabbing some of that each week and buying more of it. Right. That's kind of, as it gets closer to the expiration, sure, maybe you start using it. Um, but that's, that's like very long-term storage. What you're talking about is short to medium term storage, where it's like, don't think of it as something that you're just going to put into an account and let it sit. This isn't like a 401k. This isn't something that you just set it and forget it. This is more like an extension of your pantry. You want to be able to uh, continually be withdrawing from it and also continually be adding to it. And that way, food isn't going to waste. Um, so that first in, first out method, like if let's say you've, I don't know why we keep going back to like beans, but, but let's say like you've got, you, you have refried beans as like a normal part of your diet. Once a week, that's part of at least one of your meals. You get to a point where you've got 10 cans of refried beans. You go to the store and buy, let's say five more, you're going to want to make sure you use those 10 that you already had initially before you use the five that you just bought, just because you want to use it when it's freshest. And I love that method that you're talking about of like, that works for you. You're going to go every time you take something from your like food storage, you're just going to drop a sticky note in the box, 
time to go to the grocery store, take out the sticky notes and you, you've got your grocery list right there. Yeah. And there's, there's lots of fun tips out there and, and we'll talk more about these later and maybe we'll do episodes on how to do this, but you can either buy or build um, storage shelves specifically for the first in first out, right? So you can, it can hold a certain number of cans and you pop your, your cans you just bought, you put them in the back and it pops the older ones out the front. You always know you just grab the front can, right? But you can build these shelves out of wood that uh, have a slight slant on them so that you're, you're basically accomplishing the exact same thing. Um, but, you know, if there's a, you have to experiment and find what method works for you. Maybe that sticky note method isn't right for you. The reason I like doing it that way is because it's an upfront investment for me to, to make sure I can buy the groceries that I need to last for two weeks or three weeks upfront. Um, but then after that, it's the exact same cost week to week as it would be to just do it in the first place. If I didn't even have any storage, I'm still buying that same amount of stuff. But this way, I am just front loading the cost. But it means I always have that food available to me. It basically has an extension of the grocery store if I didn't have access to the grocery store for a while. One other consideration um, when you're doing food storage to think about uh, that we'll talk about here is that there's going to be types of food storage that involve um, getting things that you don't maybe eat on a typical basis. But that's because you're starting to look at different scenarios. As you look at especially your risks and you do your threat uh, analysis, right, your threat modeling, you wanted to figure out what am I going to eat in certain situations? You know, if your big fear is that you might lose access to electricity, then uh, you need to figure out what can you eat, like what do you normally eat that requires electricity, and what can you supplement to add to your food storage that would allow you to eat if there was no electricity. And hopefully, again, those are still things that you normally eat, you're just getting more of those things. Or maybe it's uh, you're nervous that the water is going to go out, right, and you can't add water to your meal. Maybe it's that uh, your gas utilities won't be available or that your fridge goes out so you can't have things that need to be refrigerated. You want to create redundancies in each of those areas so that there's no emergency in which you realize I have nothing that I can prepare very clear easily to make sure that me and my family are fed. And that does involve as well things like uh, a 72-hour kit, a go bag if you do need to leave the house, um, amongst others. So. The, as as the most basic, get two weeks of what you eat, and then you can start thinking about those different threats and adding to that two-week stockpile. And pretty soon as you've added to that, based on each um, threat in each scenario, now you should have three weeks or a month's worth, right? And now you're starting to grow and you can start um, to think outside of that and go bigger and bigger. And that's again where those variables are so important. I love the way that we've outlined the framework because Maybe you are somebody that is in a situation where you've got some like energy backups. If all of a sudden the power goes out, you have a generator that's going to kick on, or you've got some off-grid like solar panels that are going to allow you to have electricity. If that's the situation for you, then maybe your food storage plan involves building up a lot more like refrigerated food storage. But if that's not the case, and, and you're somebody who loads up your fridge with all this extra food or your freezer. And the minute the power goes out, you're at risk of losing all of that. Like, don't go that route. So you got to think about what your individual situation is. But yes, 
starting with the basics, starting with, you know, a few days and then a couple weeks of food storage. Um, one of the key considerations here is the the shelf life of the food that you have. How long is it going to last? And this is something that can get very confusing. Uh, I don't know how it is in all countries, but at least in the U.S., it is not like there's there's not any standard and it's not well regulated with most food items. So you might see on food items that you purchase from the store an expiration date and you don't really know what that means or how to trust it. So a couple of things. One, one is that there are different types of like labels that you'll see. One might be a best if used by date. And people see that and they think, oh, that's an expiration date. And Kellen, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just looked over and noticed that uh, the light turned off on our recording setup here, which means I think that the card that we had was full. Uh, and I'm guessing that it's going to mean that the audio is going to decrease in quality for the second half of this episode. I'm, I don't know when it turned off, so I'm sure it's the last few minutes now that um, the audio probably sounds worse. So I apologize to the audience for, for that decrease in, in audio quality. Uh, this was an oversight on my part for not making sure that the card was clear. Yeah, so we'll try to speak a little bit louder so that it gets picked up by the computer audio um, instead of through the actual microphone. So unprofessional, man. If anybody <laughs> wants to be our producer for free and come here and keep <laughs> keep our act together, <laughs> let us know. <laughs> All right. Well, we're talking about certain dates that you might see on your food. Um, something like a best if used by date or maybe a use by date or a sell by date. And this can get really confusing um, especially because, like I said, none of it is standard, none of it is regulated. But the sell-by date is just like, some, they're just telling themselves at the store, this item should be sold by a certain date for maximum freshness. One estimate is that one-third of a product's shelf life remains after the sell-by date for the consumer to use at home. Mm. So you can just trust that like add a third and 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 you're good from there um the best if used by date is more of just a suggestion that's when the taste and the quality of the food that's when it's at its peak so from there it'll start to decline but the food is probably still fine for quite a while the used by date um is probably a little bit closer to what we would actually consider an expiration date. Um, but it's not a guarantee. Even if you've gone past that date, you are probably okay to still eat the food item. Just take a look at like, you'll notice if something is off. Right. With, Smell it first. Yeah. Take a little taste first. The texture, the color, the, the smell like that should give you a clue. If nothing else, the taste, you'll be able to see that something's wrong. One rule I like to live by is if it has mold on it, don't eat it. Yeah. Scrape that off the top and then eat what's under it. I'm just kidding. Unless maybe you like the mold. <laughs> okay. So with that in mind, the dates can get a little bit confusing, but I, what I do like is that there are several resources out there. Um, it's really easy to find because this is a, a common like a, this is this is a topic that you will be able to find information on 
for almost any common food item, you can find recommendations that match up to what the actual expiration should be. Okay. Something like like ketchup. Eat it within the first six months if it's been opened and it's now refrigerated. Or you can store it in a pantry for one year unopened. Hmm. Right? Or something like rice and dried pasta. It it should be fine for two years. In even just in like regular packaging. So uh, I recommend just having a handy list. You can print it out and put it wherever you keep your food in your pantry or whatever. Some of the factors that affect a food's shelf life are uh, where you store it. So we talk about canned foods. Like, sure, canned foods are probably good in a variety of locations, but it's still going to be impacted by the humidity, um, by the the temperature by how much light even that there is and so the best place to store food is in a cool dry place and and obviously there's particular foods that it's better off if it is refrigerated or even frozen so any questions so far great this is helpful for me because i'm the type of person typically that I like adhere to expiration dates. I get paranoid about food and I don't want to eat something that's going to make me sick. And I'm always worried about that. Uh, so I, I know I need to, to lighten up a bit and especially because I don't want to be wasting food. I try and eat it before the expiration date. Um, but I need to make sure that even if the expiration date has passed, that rest assured that I can still consume it within a reasonable period of time. Yeah. And that's why having something like the, the kind of charts that I described can be so helpful. Because certain items, it might be like several weeks past the date that you see on on the label, and yet it's going to be just fine. But like, if you've got milk in the fridge that's several weeks past the date... Right. Absolutely. Yeah, you don't want to drink that. Yeah. So with that in mind, um, a lot of what we think about when we think of food storage in this kind of context that we're talking about, we're talking about canned foods. And there are some common recommendations. This comes from the USDA. So if it is high acid canned goods like citrus, like citrus fruits, or if it's like tomatoes, then uh, it should be fine for about one and a half years. Almost anything else, any, any sort of low acid canned goods, we're talking about vegetables, maybe even like meat or fish, it should last for up to five years. Wow. And that is much more than most expiration dates. I've noticed in the canned goods I've bought, they typically will sit around two years, year and a half to two years. Um, the, the most extensive ones I've seen are about three, maybe three and a half years. So it's good to know that those can probably go a couple of years past their expiration date and still be fine. Again, like you said, you're going to check, right? You're going to open it up. You're going to do a taste test, a smell test. Um, but but for the most part, it should still be good. Yeah. And canned foods are, are sterile. And so it's not going to like host bacteria in it. But eventually, the taste, the texture, all of that, it will start to deteriorate. Like refrigerated foods, you know, there, there's... There's some things to think about there. The fact that like new bacteria 
won't be able to grow in a refrigerated setting, but like existing bacteria won't necessarily die. And so if there's any bacteria that's been introduced, it's still going to be unsafe to just right. let that sit in the fridge. So anyways, I think the important things here when you're thinking about how long your food lasts is to look at the dates that have been included with the food that you've purchased, but take those with a grain of salt and and think about where it is stored, what kind of food it is. And I think going back to that principle that we talked about before, that you just work it into your regular rotation and you have so much less to worry about. I think the big lesson that I take away from this episode is there are some very simple steps that could be taken to start your food storage journey. Every little bit that you do matters, right? If you're on a tight budget, just get started with an extra can here and there at the store, slowly get building up. And second, just get it into your head that food storage done right should mean no extra money is ever spent. Like you never, nothing should go to waste. It should be consumed at some point and hopefully you're not going out of the way to consume it because it's things that you would be consuming anyway. And that little bit of effort that you go through over time to kind of set up these little, uh, whether it's the sticky note in the, the first in, first out, or if you build an inventory, whatever it is, it goes a huge way to, to starting to build that peace of mind and that comfort of saying, okay, if there is a short-term emergency, I am ready. And this is such an essential pillar, obviously. Like you talked about food, water, shelter. Like you ask anybody, what do you, what does a human being need to survive? And those are the first things they're going to list. So as you're trying to work on becoming more resilient and you're thinking about all the different pillars, like if you're already starting with installing security cameras and getting walkie talkies, and yet you don't have any food storage, like, please set that aside for a minute and get at least a little bit of food storage. Absolutely. We talked about getting a few days, you know, building up to a couple of weeks. Ideally, you get months of food storage at hand, maybe even years. A lot of that comes down to your desired outcome. So take a look at your variables, see how much money you have to put towards it. That's going to determine what kind of food and how you want to go about acquiring it. Then just be really careful about how and where you're storing it. And as you are, as you've determined where you want to store it, now figure out how you want to use it, rotate it in so that you're not ever wasting food. And it really just becomes part of your, your, your daily and weekly habit. It becomes something where like, you've got to put some initial thought into it, but, but then once you get going, it's just how you operate and it's not going to be this constant burden trying to maintain. Absolutely. There may be periods of checking in on it, right? You might set yourself a calendar reminder once every six months or three months or something to just do, take 20 minutes, look over everything, write a new list if you need to buy something that you worked through and, and anyway, but it doesn't take a lot of brain power. It doesn't take a lot of maintenance. Just get started and you won't regret it. And one last thing I'll say is that then you can start to get to a point where you can have some more fun with other things. We've, we've talked about gardening. We've talked about all these things. A while back, what was it, maybe a year and a half ago, two years Corey, you and I both put some money in to like purchasing a freeze dryer and we, we need to use it more. We have been lacking for sure. We kind of each, each took turns with it. Um, we had it at my house for a while. Now it's at your house. 
Um, but that's another one of those things where it's like, we've got all of a sudden there's all this fresh fruit that we get from somewhere because it's in season or because we've grown it in a garden or because a neighbor gave it to us. There's no way to eat it all before it goes bad. Yeah. But then you can prepare it, put it in the freeze dryer, you know, seal it up in these bags and it, it will last for years. Yep. And there are, I'm excited. We've got them all listed out, all the different preservation methods, right? And the pros and cons of each. And we're going to go through each one of those. Talk about ways you can preserve your food. For some people, they might just fall in love with canning, right? So some people have made that their lives and it's just the funnest thing ever, right? Other people might be really into dehydrating. Maybe it's freeze drying, right? There's just tons of different options that we'll go through. And I'm excited to go through each one of those, um, those preservation methods. Again, the... Um, the creating a sustainable source of food methods. There's a lot to it, and uh, we're just gonna we're gonna keep taking it piece by piece. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.